Sasha, um, at the start of this, you told me you have never, you didn't watch Pachinko. And then you just heard us idiots rambling about this show for almost two hours. Don't, yeah. lie, don't lie to me. Please answer honestly. I won't get mad. Did we just ruin the show for you? Are you going to watch it now? Or No, I still have no idea what happens. Um, <laughs> so I'm definitely going to watch it now. And I'm prepared for tears. I'm, I'm ready to cry. So we just finished recording the uh, episode one, two, and three prestige podcast. This is now going to, I think, be the introduction to this podcast because I was like, with Cho, I was like, you think we just made any sense whatsoever? I think we did a disservice to the show that's on Apple Plus, Pachinko, that you were, were, were talking about. And it just dawned on me. I was like, we have Sasha, who's not Korean. Let's get her take. So give a preamble to this long meandering nonsensical podcast that we did for the prestige that very well may be the last prestige ever made. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Because it's just the way we, I don't even know what happened, but for Sasha, we wanted to let people know in advance to fair warning. She just listened to us ramble on for almost two hours. You sure that wasn't going to like be a disservice to the show? No, I think it's, I think it's a, a companion. <laughs> <laughs> That's not a good thing. <laughs> I'll be honest, I've never listened to a prestige podcast. Cho, have you listened to a prestige po- podcast? I don't even know the s- format. No, I don't know what it is. I'm, I'm, yeah. So, the so best for part those, is there's going to be no ads. No ads? It's going to be just a pure two hours. <laughs> so, so, for those that are listening, now this is even getting longer. Yeah. Get Can long. you let the audience know that listens to this wonderful prestige podcast these episodes what is the normal format and how long is it usually two people like yourselves talk for 40 minutes about a tv show all right all right so we just fair warning to all i'm yeah if i remember the last time i did dave chang's podcast i I talked i probably rambled for four or five hours and they cut it (laughs) two hours so i can probably i don't know who's gonna edit is it are you gonna edit it sasha i I am gonna edit this yeah I, I'm, I'll speak for Sasha. I guarantee who, who's ever listening to this right now, they're going to edit out at least an hour of me talking about bullshit. So it'll be, it'll be, uh, you know, presentable. This is our, our, our pre podcast to the podcast to give everyone a fair warning that if you're listening to this, be like, this is not the prestige podcast. No shit. Cause we just turned it on its head and I don't know what happened. And we talk about an hour. Let's just break it down. First 20 <laughs> minutes. We talk about like Korean shit. The next 20 minutes, we talk about more Korean shit. And the next 60 minutes, we talk incoherently about what happened in the show. Honestly, I would have loved to have just talked about rice the entire time, but you wanted to like make some kind of sense of it. <laughs> multiple times. Yeah. And uh, we talk Dave about Cho comes up with the term ricist, which I've never heard before. Oh, so, come on. You know, but you know, ricists in your life, you're probably a ricist yourself. Well, I was going to say he is. Oh yeah, for sure. Multiple times in the past few weeks, you and Chris have, especially during the diets they both went on. Mm. It was like, fuck brown rice. Brown rice is garbage. I don't want that. <laughs> like white rice only white rice supremacy. So, well, well you know, <laughs> that's a whole we other ri- story. A racist in our midst. We frown on racists in our society and we applaud racists in our society. Okay. If we haven't lost you in the first five minutes of this, we certainly will lose you in the next two hours of this nonsense. 
this is the Prestige Podcast episodes on the Pachinko Apple Plus series. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. Earn up to 3% daily cashback on every purchase every day. Then grow it at 4.50% annual percentage yield when you open a savings account with Apple Card. Visit apple.co forward slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card subject to credit approval. Savings available to Apple Card owners subject to eligibility. Savings accounts provided by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, member FDIC. Terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Kia's first three-row all-electric SUV, the Kia EV9. With available all-wheel drive that sets the pace and seating for up to seven adults, with zero to 60 speed that thrills you one moment, and available lounge seats that unwind you the next, visit kia.com EV9 to learn more. Ask your Kia dealer for availability. No system, no matter how advanced, can compensate for all driver error and or driving conditions. Always drive safely. This is a prestige podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network. The podfather himself, Bill Simmons, asked myself, David Chang, and David Cho, the Cho Chang method, to do a first in podcast history. First time ever to have the Cho Chang method describe the Pachinko experience on Apple Plus. Oh. Yeah. Dave Cho, Dave Chang. What, 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 this is weird, right? I think this is if for people that listen to the Prestige podcast. This is going to be the weirdest, most incomprehensible, possibly longest one that anyone's ever come across. We're here to break boundaries and 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 to blow people's minds. Whoa. So I, I don't know what else to say other than that. Whoa. Well, look, can I just start before we jump into this to tell you how reluctant I am to do this because. People already think I'm you, right? Like I'm, I'm meeting at a restaurant today and they're like, bro, you're kind of like an asshole on your TV show, but I love your food. And I'm, and I never correct them. I say, thanks. So, and I also put out a show last year called the Cho show on FX. And I was lucky enough to get nominated for spirit awards. So I'm sitting at my first award show, like, you know, the spirit awards, very diverse. It's like, there's a table of just all little people, a table of all deaf people, people of color. And I'm like, this is awesome. And I'm sitting there and at least three times, you know, I'm sitting there going, I made it. I made it to the big time. You know, three different people come up to my table, put their hand on my shoulder and, and say, bro, you just fucking killed it with Blue Bayou. And so I'm like, <laughs> I would rather do a review of Spider-Man or Batman. You know, that's my shit. So to have two matchy, matchy, two gooks, like reviewing the most gook infested show on TV, I'm already reluctant about that. And then it's just. I ask myself, like with, with the racial draft, like if I had to cut as an Asian person, I'm always like, how, what's the appropriate number of how many white people I should have in my life. So I had to cut critter out to the make room for Bill Simmons for people who aren't Asian for, for all the non-Asians out there. How much space do you have in your heart and your mind and your everything to, to allow uh, Asians into your life for as far as like TV, movies, music. And, and I'm coming to the answer of it's usually just one, right? They're like, I'll have enough bandwidth in my mind to only let one Asian in. And then, and then that's it because, you know, then, then we all get mistaken for each other. Like I'm with Steve Young and he's like, everyone's coming up to him going, great job on Squid Game. <laughs> you know, it's like, wait, wait, Steve, what Steve, Steve wasn't in Squid Game. 
No. Uh, oh, yeah, he wasn't squeaky. <laughs> he was an old man with lots of makeup. So, uh, yeah, so I'm a little and, bit. And Steve, Steve I'm, I was shocked, was not in Pachinko. I thought he was, I, you know, I thought he was in Pachinko, but he was not in Pachinko. I, I, I bet you they asked him. He, he's, he's in a weird phase where he's taking all these weird artsy roles, you know. So, <laughs> um, Listen, uh, you, you mentioned Justin John. He just made Blue Bayou. You're a big fan of it. He is one of the directors on this eight episode series uh, on Apple Plus. The other is the great Kogonaga, um, who has a Japanese name, but he's Korean. And Justin Chun um, is killing it with Blue Bayou. So you have two prominent Korean American directors. I don't even know if Kogonaga is Korean American. He's just Korean. And written by one of the most famous authors, great authors in the world, Min Jin Lee, uh, who is a Korean immigrant and has written Free Food for Millionaires and in 2017 came out with Pachinko. And I, I'll be honest, I, I'm a huge fan of Min Jin. I read Free Food for Millionaires, but I could not read Pachinko. Uh, my wife devoured it in three days. I must have like 12 copies at my house because every single person that I know that is Korean American has read it and gave me a copy and said, you got to read this book. I never read it for a specific reason. Cho, did you read it? I, I've never read it. I'm, I'm, I read comic books. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't read it because I knew I, I had an idea of what it was about and it was going to be too much for me to read. It mirrored too much of my own family's um, history. And for those that don't know, Pachinko is about a, a generational story of uh, uh, of Koreans living in Japan, takes place in America, takes place in Korea, but there's a lot of generational trauma. There's a lot of Korean history that has never been written about. And up until this point, I've never seen it on TV in a dramatic series either. So this was a first. I do think I'm going to read the book now because now the sort of the, the, the band-aids ripped off. And I do want to read it because I don't know if this, the, this series, as great as it is, could ever sort of capture the things of a book. Do you think that I just ordered it on Amazon while you were talking, you know, like <laughs> I, I, without, you know, I have fear in my heart when someone's like, like you got to read this thing. It's, 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 you're going to love it, Dave. And and then if it just goes into like the most recent years, right. When someone's like, bro, crazy rich Asians, that's for you guys. That's your black Panther. When they say, go watch Shang-Chi. And I go, oh, that's what I need to watch right now. A, a, a Kung Fu master whose dad is an Asian gangster. Um, or even the new Pixar movie, like Turning turning Red. Like all, all those things are like, I'm not going to lie. Because I, I come into all these things as a hater. Like Justin Chan, he's from Twilight, right? So I, I met him years ago at one of those Korean uh, award shows. And I'm like, fuck this dude. I don't, you know? And it was, it was only like, I, you, you, I'm a hater. Why, why hate, why, why hate, why, why are you hating people, Dave? Cause I, well, I've, I guess I should say past tense. I've been a hater, you know, I've been a hater. Cause it's just like, how are you going to do me? How are you going to tell my story and, and not fuck it up? And so like all the really popular movies I just named that are like supposed to be our time, uh, Shang-Chi, crazy rich Asians, uh, turning red they're still ancient and exotic and oriental. It's still, it's like, we just can't be, it's still like Asians, like stuck in the sunken place. It's like, and, and so, you know, I've been watching Justin's career. He did Gook and then he did Blue Bayou and then he did this now. And it's like, oh, I, I'm, I'm a fan now. Like, I, I love this guy. And then even this thing, when Bill Simmons was like, hey, you guys want to do this? 
I, 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 I guess I still am a hater. I, I hate it off the movie poster. I saw the Hamburg. I saw the faces. I saw the gook faces. And I'm just like, this is, this is just too close to home. I'm already living in this shit. I already, <laughs> I'm still fighting with my parents. I hear their shit. I got to hear all this generational trauma shit all the time. I don't need to watch a fucking TV show about it. And then I'm watching this fucking thing, just crying, going, there's no way this is, I mean, I'm already loving the TV show and I've never read the book. And I'm like, all right, the book's going to be dope because the book's always better, you know? I mean, first and foremost, again, like I think people need to know more about Korean history, more about Korean culture, because Korean culture is like so popular right now. It's never been cooler to be Korean, which is weird. But I think if you're going to know that, if you know about Cho and his Koreans gone bad, if you know about Han, you know, you, you need to start to familiarize yourself with what Dave just said, humble. People don't even know what the hell that is. That's a Korean traditional clothing, right? Um, and these are the things that if we said kimono, I think people would know what you're talking about. You know what I mean? But you say hanbok, people don't know. And I think this is the rec, this is the, this is the, the time and place where I think the, the shift in understanding about Korean culture and what we're allowed to talk about is, 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 is now in the open, Dave, like all the things that we talk about, uh, to each other or when we have dinner with other Koreans, this is now something that is out in the open. And I'm, I'm excited about that. And you're right. When I watched the show, I didn't want to hate it. I, I, I very much wanted to read the book, but I was reluctant because of the scars, because it hit too close to home. And for both of us, you know, I, I mean, I don't know how deep your family's history is with Japan, but my family's history is very intertwined. I'm not going to be dude. I fucking love this show. It's the best show on TV. <laughs> like I came in a hater just because I hate myself and I, I'm like a, I can be at times a self-hating Korean, but I, I just, the show flipped me. I'm like, this is the, this is the best show on TV. How much did you feel though that your time in Japan, did it like trigger you because you spent time oh, in Japan? You were scarred. Yeah. I spent time in Japan and I was scarred. I, I'm sobbing through this show. I'm fucking shake. My hand was shaking through the show. I'm, I'm so I would like, I don't smoke, but I would like go outside to like, <sighs> like just get a, I mean, like I grew up with, with, you know, Asians, we don't like to talk about the past. Right. And so I get all these like stories of what it was like for our parents, for our grandparents. And this show kind of just filled in a lot of the blanks. Cause they, you know, I grew up besides Harry Kim, I didn't grow up with a lot of Koreans. Like I grew up with mostly Japanese kids and they would all come into my house. And when they would come over, my grandma would start talking to them in Japanese. And I'd be like, whoa, what's going on, grandma? And then all my aunts all have Japanese names. I mean, they had Japanese names and Korean names. They all speak perfect Japanese. And, and you know, as a little kid, six, seven years old, I'm like, I don't understand what's happening. Why is your Japanese so perfect? And I'm, and they're like, oh, because they they came in and they raped and murdered and they, and I'm like, Whoa. And then I, I didn't just from them telling, but that my family was different than other Korean families. And my grandma was always so nice to all my Japanese friends. And I, and I would say, why grandma, they were so mean to you. Why? And they're like, these kids are like you, they were born here. They didn't do any of that shit. Like they're going to pay for the sins of the father. Like they didn't do any of that stuff, but you know, that's what my parents told me. That's what my, my grandma, they're like, they came in, they made us change our names. They would beat the shit out of us if we spoke our own native tongue and, you know, the horrible things that they did to us. And it's just, you're a kid. I'm, I'm a kid growing up in like the eighties playing with GI Joes and transformers. And it just sounds all fictional or like, 
like from another, you know, I'm like, wow, that's crazy that that happened, but you're cool now. Right. You know? And then now here I am like a middle-aged man, like still dealing with, you know, the amount of times in my life where I'm like, I'm a wealthy man living a fucking awesome life. And I got to hold my mom and dad. And I, I got to look at them and go, the war is over. The war is over. And it, like to them, it's not, there's still a war happening. And watching the show, it just, you know, like it's been 20 years since I, since I was in a Japanese prison. And when I was there, when I was with the mass population with other people, I mean, eventually when I, I got convicted, they put me in solitary, solitary confinement. But when I was with other people, just being Korean, I had to fight someone every day. Like I had to fight fist fight with someone every day. And then until they found out I was an, uh, an artist and they're like, Oh, he can draw. Like then, then, I, then that transcended because if you're in jail and you have any skill, then, then you're, you're the man. But yeah, I mean, I mean, but Cho, what you're saying, I think is going to be interesting. I think we need to, whether people want to listen to this or not, I think this is going to be the two topics of conversation. If you're Korean American and you're our age, for the most part, and your parents and grandparents lived or were very Japanese, as my grandparents were, lived there, you're going to have a lot of stories that were passed on to you. You're going to have these kinds of conversations right now. I guarantee it. The conversation you're hearing Dave and I have right now, we haven't even spoken about this. Anybody that's Korean American or Korean is going to be able to have a very similar conversation. 100%, I guarantee it. On the other hand, you're going to have people that watch this because it's an amazing doc. It's an amazing series. I almost said it was a docu-series because in some ways it is. The acting is phenomenal. They killed it on the cast. And I don't want to, we're not going to divulge past episode three. I'm interested to see how people are going to watch this without any Korean understanding, without anything other than, hey, I want to watch a series because someone told me it's good. Right. I heard that people are moved to tears because it's so good. All the harmonies and harabajis are going to be sobbing. My parents are going to be sobbing watching this thing. But beyond that, for me, the acting, unbelievable. The directing, the, the music for me was better than anything. The music, this guy, Nico Muli was, was like, if you're, if you're listening to this, Nico, fucking, ha you should win every award. Call me, please do something with me. But I'm watching this show and did you ever have to dress differently when you went to a white person's house? Like growing yeah, up, dude, I, yeah. I still do. <laughs> so, so that was interesting. Cause I'm watching this show and I'm like, you know, if we were going to anyone's, anyone Korean's house, it didn't matter. But if my parents are like, Oh, you're going to white people's house. You better put on a, you know, button down shirt and or polo shirt or, you know, something, no holes in your pants. And also Japanese people. They're like, if you're going to go to a Japanese person's house, you better dress nice. So there was that still that fear and, you know, honestly, the, the mixed emotions watch, it's like, it makes me fucking pissed. I get angry. Like I want to punch the wall. Like I want to scream. I want, like, I, I have so much, I have so much pain from watching it. And then, and then the flip side, the, you know, this whole show, this whole series could just be, just be like, it's a focused spotlight on how stubborn and resilient Korean people are. Right. Just <laughs> not selling properties like you can't use logic. Right. It's like we don't give a fuck about what's logical or what's we're, we're going to be stubborn, the pride, all that shit. And so as, as I watch the show, I'm sitting here and this for someone because there's people in my family do absolutely hate Japanese people. This show will make them even more angry. 
it'll, it'll remind them, it'll trigger them. It'll remind them all the horrors and injustices. For me, I sit here and like you started this, this thing with, we're sort of on top of the world right now. And I don't think there's any way, and I'll probably get a lot of slack for this. There's no way that would have happened with that level. You know, I'm a, I'm a, you know, I'm not a hater today. I, I live in gratitude. So when I see how Koreans are just resilient and then they endured and they just fucking killing it in every field, it's because of all the fucking murder and savagery and injustices. So in a way th- there is gratitude there for me, you know? And I think that's what this show did too, is it didn't just show like, these are the worst people on the planet. They show, they humanized everyone, you know, it's like, no, it's, it's a lot. And again, like this isn't, about our lives, but it's hard for me not to talk about this TV series without talking about us. Like my love of Japanese food is because of my grandfather. You know, that's all I ate growing up. That's all he ate growing up. My fascination with Japanese culture is because of my grandfather. So there's a lot of things in this, in this series. And I will read the book because I know some of the great lines in the TV series, 100% came from the book. Um, And I could, I, I think, there, there are some very powerful moments that I think we can resonate to with, but I think we should probably, now that we're 20 minutes in sort of like preface, preface the, the series. Yes. It's in Pachinko. I watched it with my wife. My wife read the book and she said that it's not exa- It doesn't cover everything. So if you read the book, you're not going to be disappointed. It's just, there's so many, it's a three book series. It's three books that comprise Pachinko and they weave the timelines, you know, throughout all the eight episodes. So it jumps, but it jumps a little bit like Godfather 2. So I, if I could give a comp, especially the first three episodes are very, to me, very much to me, Godfather 2, where they go to a younger De Niro and they go to a, a Pacino, you know, and, and back and forth. And yes, it's not about gangsters, but there is gangster elements. But to me, the story of family is very familiar. And I feel like that's the best comp I can give as crazy as that sounds is that like, it, it reminds me of Godfather too. Yeah. I mean, for me, even if they just stopped the whole series at episode four, I'm like, that's like the best show on TV. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And, um, for me, the Lord of the Rings series will ever forever be linked with my time in prison because I saw Return of the King in Los Angeles, flew to Japan for my art show, and then got arrested the next day. So I had just finished, the, you know, and Lord of the Rings is one of my favorite trilogy movies I've ever seen. In jail in Japan, they don't have a lot of English-speaking books. So I didn't read the books. I only watched the movie, and I loved it. And then in jail, just the guy, there was a Korean guy. First of all, there's a lot of Koreans that are born in Japan that completely deny being Korean. Yeah. They're like, I'm Japanese. Don't even talk to me about that shit. And so one of these guys, young, I met in jail. He had nine fingers. He had one missing. As he was leaving, he gave me his copy of Lord of the Rings. So I read the book after the movies and I was like, holy fuck, dude, they have glossaries and indexes for like the languages. So I don't even know what this, the, the book, what's in this book for, um, for uh, Pachinko, but I'm sure, I'm sure the book is like a thousand times better than this. And yet you know, no, Minjin, Minjin is one of the great writers of our generation. She just is, you know, full stop. So, you know, we're blessed to have her representing a lot of the voices of otherness, right? Um, and that's what I think that Pachinko covers a lot. I think that this series, though, takes the perspective of women a- being 
uh, in Korean in a, in a Korean like Japanese occupied Korea. Um, but you know, there's so much to cover. So I, I haven't listened to too many of the prestige podcasts, but I don't think there's any TV show that needs this much, um, besides Dave and I talking incessantly about ourselves, uh, this show needs a lot of context, right? A lot. Like it is, and I'm sure the book covers this, but if you're watching this, this is where I feel that this podcast can actually be useful. You know, we start off with this scene where Yang Jin, Sunja's wife, Sunja's mom, is, is, is uh, complaining and hoping that this Korean shaman would bless her with child because she's lost three, three boys in their first years of birth. That in and of itself is, needs a lot of information, right? If you are friends with Korean people, they celebrate the first 100 days, the Bekil, right? 100 days and the first year of birth, the Dol, right? Yeah. Huge moments. The Dol is like the bar mitzvah, yeah. right? But you're at one. And the 100 day is a lesser celebration, but also monumental. Koreans celebrate this for morbid, sad reasons. Right. Most Korean babies died before 100 days. And if you made it past 100 days, they, most of those died before the first year. So to start off this, this series with death, right? That tells you a lot about Korean culture. It also, to Very me, told brand. a lot... <laughs> Very on brand, but also was interesting because if you put in the context of where the, the show is taking place right now, it's in the southern tip of, of Korea. Uh, Yongdo are like islands on the southern part of Busan. Busan is a, a port city. It's, it's like one of the happening places in Korea right now. But back in probably the early 20th century, there was no Christianity south of um, all of Christianity was basically in North Korea what is now North Korea, right? Anywhere South that is now South Korea was all Buddhist and shaman, right? Um, so I thought, again, like that's, that's telling in, in so many ways because like Cho and I come from very heavily Christian families. <laughs> my, you know, my, 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 both my mom and dad's side came from North Korea. Christianity was like extremely important. And Christianity is another central theme in, in Pachinko. I'm sure it plays a bigger role in the book, but it definitely plays a role in the TV series. But it was interesting that it talks about death before one years old and, you know, the idea of like a Korean shaman Ajima. <laughs> So that's a, that's a big one. That's a huge celebration, the hundred days. Cause it's like, fuck the, the little fucker made it to hundred days. Let's, let's keep it going. Yeah. And then, and then the first year when you do the, for, for those who don't know Koreans, the first year when the, when the baby turns one, they, it's a big thing. And they, they lay out all the things in front of the baby, like rice, money, you know, a pen, uh, uh, you know, every, every single object represents like you know, it's, it's Korean shaman fortune telling shit. Like the, if they grab the pen then maybe they're going to be an artist or a writer. If they grab money, they're going to be like a banker or something like that. So, um, I think it was also important for them to start off with this because it was about breaking the cycle of, 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 um, not trauma when it's not necessarily Han, but I think one of the central themes, at least in the series. And again, I don't know if in the book, but I will find out soon enough is, um, how much is inherited. And this is a theme that you hear throughout the series is how much it, are children responsible 
because of what their parents had done before. And this is a recurring theme. And part of that is like what, what, what um, Yang Jin, Sunja's mom, was asking for was to sort of break the cycle of failure, right? What was interesting is her three sons had passed, but to be born a daughter in Korea is seen as a, a at that time, not, not the most desirable thing. It's extremely misogynistic culture, right? And that was the start of breaking the cycle, right? Like, I think that's a very symbolic thing. I don't know why, but that's just how I felt. Um, so, you know, it's like sons versus daughters and how, how the matriarch, Sungja, who I think the MVP of this, at least the first episode, is baby Sungja. She's so good. She's, She's so amazing. Korea, I, I was talking to Steve Young about it. He's like, dude, kids, kid actors in Korea are like unbelievable. <laughs> They're like little Jodie Fosters. She's she's by far like the best childhood actor I've ever seen. Amazing. Every variation of Sanja, like kid, middle, uh, harmony, like every every generation of Sanja was like the best for me in this show. And and I think it's an interesting sort of again, not interesting, but a theme that needs to be spoken about is how much agency do you have, right? And I think a, a recurring theme is the past and the present sort of merging together, which again, as you can, you'll find out when you watch this with, with all the time jumping and how much history repeats itself and one does history not repeat itself, right? It gets straight to the heart of the matter in a very sort of, um, you could watch this without even thinking too much about it. And it, it gets, uh, goes back to uh, after Sungjo is born to a father with a cleft lip. Again, there's a lot to talk about. We're going to be jumping all over the place, but we jump to 1989, uh, about, you know, 50 years in the future to uh, Solomon, who is one of the main characters in the show played by Jinha, Jinha, who's an amazing actor. Um, and he was in Hamilton. He's, his Japanese is perfect. Uh, Shifley's would be some kind of, um, J.P. Morgan, Goldman Sachs, Bear Stearns type of investment bank. And here he is walking, trying to get the promotion, right? To become like a managing director. And clearly it seems like this guy's killing it, but he's talking to his two white bosses and they're basically like, fuck you. <laughs> I think a lot of people might watch this and be like, ah, whatever. But I think it's important because you're also talking about 1989, very different time and place where this guy who was educated, say he went to Yale, went to Choate Rosemary Hall, one of the top boarding schools in the New England area, um, working as an investment maker. This guy's super ambitious. He's already hit his glass ceiling. To be Korean in America in 1989, you're not, you're not going to become the top dog. You're not going to become the boss of other people, not because of your abilities, but because of your background mm -hmm. do you think and that's i was watching that i was like has that changed that much no i dude. don't think so no dude. it's like no man like the only reason why we we were you and i were able to do what we did is because we did we did it completely ass backwards right this 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 cycle of like you know this trauma and all the legacy and everything that that you know that's embedded into all Asians of like, make, don't, don't embarrass the family. Don't embarrass the family. Like it's, you know, don't, don't embarrass your parents. You know, it's, 
just make your parents proud. Just make them proud. Just everything is about, there's no I, it's all we, right? And then, and then all, every kid just being born and wanting to make their parents proud. And, and the only way for me to have ever made my parents proud was to completely destroy their expectations and disappoint them before getting here. And I think that's the only reason why we, we did what we did. But when I'm watching this show, I'm just like, holy fuck. Like I, I, I wouldn't, yeah, it's, it's very frustrating to watch Solomon at work, you know, with, with, in this kind of environment, you know? And then on top of that, it's not just like with white people, it's also Koreans on where they're, where they're at with Japanese people, you know, and how they're treated over there. And then it goes, um, I think it, uh, then after, after Solomon says, you know, he wants a promotion, he doesn't, this is again, a central part that unfolds in the series in the book is he says, well, you're going to, this is where it gets very like Korean aggression, anger done through work. He's like, no, you're going to give me my fucking job. You're going to give me my back pay and I'm going to fucking crush it. So fuck you guys. Right. That vengeance, the Han, <laughs> if you want to know what Han is, it is when Solomon basically tells his bosses to go fuck you. And you're going to give me all of this. Cause I'm going to land this deal in Japan. Cause I'm going to go back to Japan. And I think that's when we go to the opening credits. And I just wanted to say the opening credits are fucking awesome. I think uh, it's very similar to me to, um, oh my God, what's the John, John Cena uh, comic book? That's what I was going to say is like, as soon as the, and I don't know who did it first. I don't know when they filmed theirs and I don't know when Suicide filmed theirs, but Suicide Squad killed it with one of the most greatest dance, uh, choreographed dance scenes for their opening scene. And I don't know if that's a thing now, but, you know, Pachinko has all the actors on the show doing a dance scene in a pachinko parlor. And you could tell um, Lee Min Ho just doesn't want to dance. Like he's just phoning it in and the little kids going crazy. And I was like, and maybe it's just cause I just finished suicide squad. I was like, bro, you guys got to bring it way harder than that. Like choreograph that shit, dance harder. Um, yeah. For any, any other TV show or movie out there, that's going to open with like a, uh, you know, surreal dance sequence. You got to bring it hard after what John Cena did. No, I, I, I'm going to disagree with you. I, I thought this was as good as Peacemaker. I you think. disagree. I thought it was awesome. I really did. I, I also, see, again, if I didn't see uh, Peacemaker, then I would be like, yeah, but because Peacemaker <laughs> just crushed, I was like, all right, that's a little weak spot. But for going me. to the, 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 the music supervisor, Nico Muley, he, he takes a obscure song from the grassroots, band let's live for today and i think it very much encompasses sort of the theme of pachinko and then of course it's like don't worry about tomorrow hey 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 live for today live for today again like pretty simple message but like i think it's ironic because that's not how koreans actually think koreans are the furthest things from from living for for today i don't want to say all koreans but from what i've experienced doesn't seem like that's the case i could be totally wrong there but it we 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 go right into uh, again um 1989 tokyo and you have solomon and the first song that comes on soundtrack is uh talking heads uh road to nowhere i i think without foreshadowing too much is a pretty appropriate song choice there's just so much. And we have barely even gone into the first five minutes of the fucking first episode. So I, I don't even know where to begin because like we need to talk about what pachinko is. People may not understand what pachinko is. I mean, it's 
you know, I, as soon as I finished watching, I was like, this is Korean Game of Thrones. Like maybe like Game no, of I'm Thrones. Talk, Joe, I'm talking about the actual fucking game. Oh, the actual game. Okay. This is the part where I should be embarrassed because pachinko is a form of entertainment and gambling. And I, I pride myself on being a good gambler or I, I have been in the past. I, I don't gamble anymore, but it's like really, really popular in Japan. And it's, it's a, it's, I, I don't know that much about it. It said it involves a lot well, of, like, I, well, I do know a lot because I played a lot of pachinko because I do have a gambling problem. And uh, let me tell you, if you, if you want to open your, you got one of those automatic doors and oftentimes it's like uh, extremely loud, like pinball machine times 100. And there's so much smoke, cigarette smoke in the air that you can like, it has its own atmosphere. You know what I mean? It's, it's like always. And depending on the day and depending on the location, they're jam packed or they're uh, full of like, you know, young, usually young men in the daytime and older men during the, like different hours. But there are, it's just like a weird cross section of Japanese culture. The game Pachinko is actually incredibly stupid <laughs> to me because like all, gambling, yes. like all gambling, you really don't have, uh, it's, uh, you don't really, it's an illusion that you have control over what's happening. It's like that, uh, that Bob Barker price is right thing. Blinko thing. You put in and it falls down and you're trying to get it into certain holes like a pinball, but there are mechanisms where you can sort of like move things. Some are modern, like especially the more modern ones, which I haven't seen in a while, but like, Basically, you have no agency over the, the mini ball. So you walk into a pachinko parlor, you, you give how many dollars or yen, and they give you a basket of little metal balls, like hundreds, depending on. So like 100 yen, you get 100 balls. And you will see people all day, all day, every day, the same people just putting one dollar, one, the pin, you actually put the pinball in and that's your sort of currency. And if you win, you get more, more pinballs. So a lot of times you might see like someone that's having a really good day with like 10, 20 stacks of baskets of these balls. It's crazy. It sounds like a pinball slot machine. And yes. is, there, is there a potential to win? Like what's the most you can win? Is it like thousands, hundreds, a million? Yeah, I, I don't know how crazy it is, but you can win. And it's enough where like... Again, I don't, I could be wrong, but I don't think there's that much skill in it, right? Because you can't like do anything. Um, but I have seen people with lots of baskets of metal balls. Right. And you ask yourself like, oh, it's almost like Chuck E. Cheese. So instead of getting tickets, you get these yeah. balls. More balls you have is currency. But you, because Japanese culture, in, in some ways, pachinko is like perfectly describes Japanese culture. There's always a way of getting something done to, to skirt the law or to skirt loopholes or, you know, so gambling's illegal. Hmm. Gambling's illegal in Japan. Oh, so that doesn't so, count as gambling. No, because you then like in Chuck E. Cheese, you take your, how many fucking balls you won and you bring it back to the counter and you say, I would like to buy that stuffed teddy bear with a star on its belly. So that's like, 100,000 pachinko balls and you can't do anything with it. Right. Right. What are you going to do with that? Right. Aha. But if you're in the know, you know, like if I take three rights, a left and another, you know, 50 meters, I make another right. There's going to be a window in an alleyway. And if I give this 
this teddy bear with a star in its belly, I'm going to get 50,000 yen. Oh, nice. Didn't yeah. know that. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's pachinko. Another thing that's important to note is that most of the gambling, and I've lived in Japan and I've lived in a variety of places in Japan. Japanese, again, I'm not a Japanese sociologist, anthropologist, economist, economist, historian, but my feeling is without the Yakuza, which is the organized crime syndicate with a variety of families, often which are run by Koreans today that have Japanese names, Japan would not function. They're in charge of gambling, trash collection, a lot of the uh, illegal, illicit activities that sort of culture needs to function. It works hand in hand with the, with the government because it is seen as such a negative. And I used to read all these books about the Yakuza when I was in Japan. And some of the stories are just downright fucking insane about the violence and the gang, the, the, the rivalry and how they would always try to like take out the leaders and such. But like they're in charge and there's different clans throughout Japan. And again, I'm not up to date about who's running it. But the one thing I know for certain is that many, many Koreans that live in Japan are part of Yakuza activities. Yeah, I know. To, One of them gave me the book, Lord of the Rings. Yeah, to him, without nine fingers, right? Because if yeah. you did something wrong, you'd lose your pinky and they put it in a freezer or something like that. So, so to, did you ever get into Pachinko when you lived there? Like yeah, as, as a, fuck so yeah. You, I, I have a gambling problem. Of course I played Pachinko. You, you, you won some money on that thing? or you No, I, was so, I never had enough money to, to gamble, gamble, you know? But, you know, I, when I lived in Izumi Tatori and I lived in Wakayama and I, when I first lived in Japan, I was teaching English. I, I would talk to Korean women that were complaining to me about their Yakuza Korean husbands, you know, and, yeah. and, and, and you would hear all this crazy shit that would happen in the countryside and just how prolific Yakuza activity is. Surprisingly, a lot of it is run by Koreans or Korean, um, Koreans are in these activities, um, Koreans run most of the pachinko parlors. So you, you can't be Korean and be successful in a lot of ways if you're not in the Yakuza. It's funny enough that, uh, the head of SoftBank, one of the largest like private equity firms, he's actually Korean, but he has a Japanese name. But, you know, I think that that may be changing, but I know that when I lived there to work and to actually make money, you most, again, I'm certain there's exceptions to the rules, but I felt that you needed to be somewhat tied to organized crime, which is, again, a recurring theme in this series. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, it's surprising you never played pachinko, but I've seen it's a it, game. Dude. I've been in Japan. I've seen it. I'm just like, it, like I've not, as a gambler, I've never gone into like lottery tickets or, or slot machines. And like, I'm like, all gambling is stupid, but I'm like, that just seems like, like you're not going to win them. There, was, there wasn't enough juice for me in it, you know? I think um, to be able to know that Korean Korea has been raped or pillaged or occupied by uh, the Mongols, the Chinese or the Japanese for like most of its history. The most recent Japanese occupation happened in 1910. And before that, I think a lot of Koreans, including my grandparents and great grandfather in like 1880 moved to Japan. There were a lot of Koreans that moved there and were educated. So like, People need to know the reason why Koreans are in the show in Japan is because like of the occupation and because like many Koreans didn't have a choice because it was easier to get a job also in, in, in Japan. Like why would Koreans like live in Japan if they were going to be treated like shit? Well, because 
sometimes they had no choice and sometimes that's where the work was. Um, I feel like we're going to lose everybody, Cho. I feel like we're only talking about shit that we care about. Well, that's why I'm like, for me, I'm watching this and I'm, and I'm having these internal struggles of like, do I love this show because I'm Korean American? Because I have a lot, I grew up with a lot of these stories and it's filling in the blanks for me as, is anyone who's non-Korean is a Chinese person going to like this Is a black person going to like this Is a white person going to like this. And I'm like, in the same way, I didn't need any context for like the wire or a lot of superhero movies. Like you don't have to watch, you don't have to read 60 years of Spider-Man comics to enjoy the last Spider-Man movie. Right. Like when you get to the core, like context is nice and yeah, read the book after and all that shit. But you're telling a human story, like about the human spirit and like getting fucking beat down and just getting like used and abused and, and, and how, you either, uh, that's life, right? We, we all gone through that. You either get abused and then you just accept your fate in life. Like I sit here right now and I'm watching this thing and I'm like, I should be, you know, like kids that I not, these aren't Japanese from Japan. These are Japanese Americans. My best friend growing up joined the Yakuza, right? He, it's like, I, I think for, for me, like, I don't know. The, the, the show for me is about resilience and the human spirit. And that transcends, you know, that transcends like color that tra- transcends race. And, and that's why I want to bring it back to rice because for rice, like episode three, for me, I fucking cried through the entire episode at every scene, the fucking watch the, the rice, and, and, uh, yeah, if I'm going to spoil this rice shit for you, we'll, 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 get, we'll get there because it's a very, very, very important scene. And I oh cried like God, a baby dude. too, Yeah, but like, you know, episode one is full of context. And I think it's important if you want to go deep down into it to, to know these things that you have, think you need context for this show. I mean, it's hell, but you can just watch it and be like, holy fuck, this shit is crazy. And like. But if you want to get granular, it's all there. Even like yeah. the dialect, the the satori, the accent the of people that the subtitles when they're speaking in Korean is yellow, that's on brand, and then when it's Japanese, it's blue. And like I don't know where they, you know. I, but but here's a, but like I didn't. Great, my Grace's mom is from uh, the south of Korea, like the southern tip. And she doesn't speak in the, the she doesn't have the accent, the satori, with me when she speaks Korean. The did you, when you were listening to their Korean, where you're like, what the fuck? Cause it's like a Texas accent. Yeah. 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 Like, yeah. When I go to Korea and like, whether you're in the North or South, it's like, sometimes the accent's so thick that I'm like, my Korean's already bad. I'm like, I, you know, when we went for, for to Pyeongchang, I was like, I don't know what these fuckers are saying. Like, so yeah, I had a tough, like time. How, everything's weird. Every, to me, like my Korean sucks to begin with, but then to hear them speak Korean in the dialect, it was like very hard for me. I didn't know what the fuck. My Japanese was way better, uh, in understanding everything, but like, I, I, I just thought it was interesting to, to, to have all of this stuff happen. And again, like, do you think it's important for when Solomon's talking to his like childhood friend, when he goes back and he's at the, the, the investment bank, uh, party and his childhood friend basically is like, you're Korean. I can't believe you've been successful. And Solomon's like, do you remember when you're, you told me your dad says that, I, I, you know, I, I, I'm a dog, I'm a fucking vagrant. Koreans yeah. are the worst people in the fucking world. Like if you grown up, you have these conversations. These are regular conversations. If you've had Korean Japanese relations, right. people need to know that like, it's not 
it's not uncommon to be seen as a fucking vile piece of shit in Japanese culture if you're Korean. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I lived through it. <laughs> I lived through it. <laughs> so again, like th- this is like episode one setting up a, a lot of things. It's 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 the young uh, Sungja. It's it's uh, Solomon getting his sort of feet wet back in Japan. Some of the story about uh, Hana. Uh, his sort of law, like childhood love interest. Uh, you get to meet um, his his father, who runs a pachinko parlor. Um, you know, like to me, episode one set up a lot of these things. But if you want to get granular, it's all there. Like if you haven't been to Osaka, if you haven't seen these things before, that's what I wonder is like, do you need this context to really extract the most value out of the show? If you're a human being and you've ever been fucked with in your life and how you dealt with that, whether you relented to your bully or rose up, uh, rise above it like that, then then you, you, that's all you need for me. And this isn't it's not near uh, Jeju Island, but it was like a shout out to the Huenyo women. Oh, yeah. you know, with the, with yeah, the diving when they went diving for the clams and stuff. That was dope. And again, I think a lot of this sets up 1989 Japan. Japan is still sort of recovering from the 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 the, the bubble bursting, because at that time, Japan owned America. They owned Thirty Rock. They owned, you know, so yeah. much real estate. And I think this is like setting things up that again I haven't read in the book that I'm sure plays out where, you know, Japan is on the precipice of like world domination, but clearly it doesn't happen. And then I think all the context you need for episode one or this entire series is just. Cause it's, it's set from 1910 to like the 80s, but it's very modern and current actually, because what's happening in Russia and Ukraine, Ethiopia, in America, Mexico, you know, it's a refugee story. It's a displacement story. It's about, you know, being torn from, you know, where you live and sent, you know, being an immigrant and being, it's, it's happening now in the world. It's happening now. Like, so I, I don't think, you know, and this is a very specific to Koreans and our story, but it it's just if you know anyone or yourself or anyone in your family has been through any kind of hardship like that, then I think you can you get it. You can yeah. relate to the story. Well, well, we're we've already spilled into episode two, right? When Solomon's at the Shifley's, which is the investment bank he's working at yeah. dinner, where you know he's he gets talked down to in a weird way by the real estate head that basically is like, you're Korean. Like, I can't believe you're working for us. You know, like this is all going to go to shit. If it goes to shit, it's because you're Korean. And then we also meet Kyung Hee, which is a central figure, I think more so in the book than so far in the series. And she's dying of cancer. And I think there was a one online that I actually wrote that I think I wanted to talk to you about where Kyung Hee goes to Sungja and says, we always knew Solomon would be the one right to do better to do better than us. That's something that I think is, is that just Asian or is that just Korean where we put all of the hopes and dreams on the younger generation to do better. Right. And I think it's important that like, if you're here, you're listening. And if you're really any, if you're here today living in this planet, one of your ancestors did something fucking remarkable for you to be here, you know, but that's a lot of pressure that, is place on us in Korean culture. Well, it's not even that. Like, I think once again, going back to the religious thing, like it's very on brand in Korean for them to name their kids all after the Bible, right? There's all the <laughs> Solomon, Isaac, Moses, all that shit. It's all biblical names. And it's very Korean. I know you're the, the golden, the, the baby King in your family. 
and I was the baby king in my family. It's very Korean, I think. Maybe it's more taboo in, in American culture, but in Korean culture for the parents to be like, that's the one, that's the chosen one. And you just, you have all these kids and like, that's, that's our best chance of getting out of here. <laughs> Do you have any skills? Do you have any talents? And it's more like, it's, it's harsh, but it's also survival. W which one of these fucking kids is the best chance for us to get out of this, this life? He's the one let's give him all the biggest pieces of meat, the best rice, the, you know? And so, you know what? Yeah. When she said that line, like, you, you know, it's, it's up to you. It's your, you know, like I, it resonated, you know, as you watch this series, so much of it is not because people wanted to do something or to be in a relationship or to have a child. It's simply because circumstances like demanded it, you know, like right. yeah. if there wasn't a war in Korea, I don't think my mom marries my dad. You know what I mean? It's like all of this shit just sort of happened because people had no choice. Yeah. It's just all these things that human, you know, when Bill, when Bill Simmons asked me to review the show, like I'm in, I'm in the middle of watching my favorite show right now, which is 19 or 1883 and Yellowstone, which is the, a, a completely different and similar in the same way where, you know, there's a gypsy woman on that show who's her father, get, her, her husband gets killed. And so she tries to fuck every dude to, 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 to wife up to any of these guys. Cause she needs to survive and war and these kind of situations, they bring up these extreme things where you're just, what do I need to do to survive in this setting? And the answer is usually anything. I'll fucking do anything to survive. If I got to marry this person, you know, you know, do sexual, you know, provide sexual services. If I need to sell my body, if I need to sell my kids, if I need, you know, I'll do anything to, to survive, you know? And, and talking about survival is one of the reasons why the, one of the sort of central plot, like plot lines in the show is this woman with this plot of land that Solomon's trying to buy for Shipley's so they could build a golf course or something like that. Right. And they're trying to buy it for 1 billion yen, which is at the time is like 9 million us, which is probably like, I don't know, like 40 million today. And it's like this small little house. So that happens. Sunja almost gets raped. And then we get introduced to her. What do you call Ko, Ko Hansu, her lover? It's like, her secret boyfriend, I guess. Yeah, her. secret boyfriend. And Kohansu is, again, like, you know, we were just talking He's about... So fucking dreamy, dude. I don't... I don't. I haven't watched... I, I had to look him up after. I thought he... When I saw him, I thought he was like a K-pop star. He's, He's a very handsome man. Dude, I would fuck the shit out of that guy. He's so good looking. <laughs> I don't know what other work he's done. This is my first... This is my first um, intro into him. I, I want him to be inside me. Like, he's... <laughs> I well, mean, he, just, it, just it, watch that's like the forbidden love and all the the love part. I'm a I'm a romance guy. I love rom coms. Like, it's just an amazing like, just like the life situation. Like, he fucking like he did it. He was a fucking dirtbag kid from the streets, and then he did it. He fucking killed it. He like made it to the top, and then you know he's but he did it by becoming Japanese and doing the Japanese way. And then there's Dude, this he's Yakuza, which is why it was like clear to me without even knowing it then that I was like, oh, this guy's a gangster. Right. right. Like there's just like you don't become successful or have that position as a Korean person right. in occupied like Japanese occupied Korea unless you're like Yakuza. He did. He did all these things that were against his value system to make it to the top. He kept his head down. You know, that's like my parents' story. That's my grandparents' story. That's my story. And so 
so he sees this this you know sunja who who you know it reminds him of his youth it reminds him of where he came from and he falls in love with her and that romance of just chilling by that rock by this creek and doing laundry together and it was like i'm like into this because you know there was a long time where i was that guy you know i wasn't in the yakuza but i would just i i would never give myself fully over to any woman and like I was dating all these women and I'd be like, and I gave whatever his indecent proposal was, which is like, I'm never going to marry you. Like you're beneath me now, but I will set you up for life. I'll set you up your kids, all this shit. And, but I just won't give you the title. I won't marry you and all that. I've said almost verbatim that to women before. And they, and you know, that acting in the, that scene, when her face is, you just feel uh, the, the pain that she's in, like, like you, you fuck you, you're disrespecting me. And his acting when he goes from, from, uh, cursing her, I mean, from like telling her like, Hey, I'm doing like, you don't even know how hard the world is. Like, you don't even know like how awesome I'm going to set you up. And then when she says no, when he immediately turns into like the bad guy, he's like, well, fuck you then. Like your dad's a cripple. He's got a cleft lip. Like my kid's going to be fucked up too, probably because I am. And, and all that shit. It's just, it's just heartbreaking. That whole scene is that whole romance is heartbreaking. The whole forbidden love. Like it's just, it, it spoke to me on so many levels. I, I, I was just like, this is the best. You should watch it just for the love story. <laughs> well, I will tell you, they nailed all the sort of smaller things too, like washing clothes in the river. That's literally how my grandmother washed her clothes. Yeah. My grandmother used to complain that she was smarter than everybody else, but she couldn't get fucking educated because she was a woman. Same thing with Sungja. It's like, they, it's a very accurate uh, portrayal of that time. And I'm sure the love story is too. So, you know, they, they, they have their fling. It's important to note in episode two, you, you see Solomon and the dude from Westworld, um, whatever his name is, Jimmy, the actor's name is Jimmy Simpson, but they, they try to buy the land from the woman that refuses. I played that role perfect. I don't know if his face just looks like that kind of dude, but he played that part. I, I like how they, he, he basically explains how he wound up to Japan and he, he, he he summarizes what it's like to be like that kind of American banker dude that just blows up his life and winds up in Japan. So um, I thought his he was really good. There's a Steven Spielberg movie from like the 80s where Empire of the Sun. Apartment. No, it's it's the they're trying to build an apartment building, but they can't because that one house in the middle won't sell. Battery's not included. Battery's not included. So this is the battery's not in, that's. Amazing deep cut. I'm so amazing. Glad. I can't even believe I just pulled that out. Yeah, batteries not in Christ. Go watch it. Great movie. Um, this fucking grandma, like this, this huge corporation bank is like, we need to fucking buy this small plot of land so we can build these giant hotels, condos, whatever. So and you're saying Min Jin Lee took the plot of batteries not included. That's what she goes. She 100% did that. That's an well, I'm going to see, I'm going to see Minjin in April or May. And I will ask her she this to her 80s. face. She watched that movie. She stole that shit for sure. So again, and I, I mean, Cho, like there's just so many plot lines in, in this episode two ends with Hana where Solomon has a freak out. Cause clearly Hana owns his ass yeah. romantically. Yeah. Solomon's dad owns a pachinko parlor. Dad's girlfriend's daughter. Dad's girlfriend's daughter. Yes. I'll, I'll sum up the plot. Line. There's so many plot lines, but the plot line is 
don't fuck with Koreans. Don't fuck with Asian people. It's like <laughs> this bank, is, I don't know what a billion yen is, but it's just, they're coming with a tremendous amount of money. They're, everyone's like, bitch, use logic. It doesn't, your entire family for generations is going to be set up. And she's like, nah, she's like, nah. And it's like, you can't, that that's like even even when you watch this and you see the level of violence which i don't think they really showed people wouldn't watch it if they showed the intensity of it and it just when they bring it to now current modern day there's people that you know that i know their parents their families are getting beat the shit out of on the street right now because they're asian and so when i watch this show and i'm like wow murder rape war fucking with you fucking with you bullying bullying let's beat up asian people on the street let's fuck with them it's like hate will never win man hate never wins it's like we come back so much stronger over and over again the resilience the strike me down i come back like like it's just insane like like when when i think about my parents my grandparents my journey on on this planet with the la riots with the japanese occupation with with all the shit that's happening right now with COVID and, and people beating the shit out of Asian people on the street, killing them, pushing them on the train tracks. It's like, you don't want to fuck with us, man. You don't want to fuck with us. Like love will win. We'll come back. We'll keep our head down. We'll fucking eat shit. We'll fucking use names that you want to call us. We'll, we, we will shit sit there and let you shit on us over and over again. And one day when you're not ready, K-pop parasite, Dave Chang, Dave Cho, like Pachinko, like it's just you're gonna be like, how the fuck did this tiny little country do all this? Like, it's the fucking anger and vengeance and rage. <laughs> yeah, that's it. But it's not just like it's repressed. You repress it and then you use that, and it's like I don't want to live like that anymore. You know, so that's that's why you're, I'm you're, you're extremely wealthy now, Dave. That's why that doesn't matter. You know, you know <laughs> yes. some of the rich. You know, yeah. some of the richest people on the planet, that didn't change anything. Well, they, they didn't Korean. Get, they didn't get rich and then all of a sudden be like, oh, yeah, all my problems are solved. They're still angry. They still have all that shit. The money, you know, it just, we got fatter. That's all. I'm just saying, I want to read the book because I want to know the Hana plot line a little bit more because Grace was like, this is a little bit different than what's happening in the book. So I think that's important. Can we please note. talk about the rice now. Like now we're going to episode three. We have to talk about the rice. Okay. We're going to get, so it's just important to note that like it, it, it goes back to the boarding house because Sunja's parents in, in Youngdo, uh, they run a boarding house. So you have a lot of, um, and we should talk about even the first episode where someone dies because they're saying unpatriotic things about Japan, which again is an important theme in this series. Um, uh, she gets pregnant. Then Kyung-hee, Sungja's sister-in-law, dies of cancer. And you see the Moksanim. Moksanim is pastor. I just, I mean, again, like I didn't expect Christianity. I wondered if it plays more of a role in the book than it does in, in, in the series because it's not that apparent in the series, right? I mean, it's there. It's not, yeah, they don't hit you over the head with it, but you know, just like I said, and just the naming of the kids and like how, how much it's revered, it's there, you know? And then you get the introduction, um, we already spoke about it. Uh, Ko Hansu doesn't want to marry Sungja. So if she doesn't get married, especially then she's going to be seen as an outcast or a lot of bad things would happen. 
And then Isak, uh, Isaac, comes uh, off the boat and he's very ill and he almost dies. So that's pretty much like most of the episode three, right? It's talking about, you know, uh, getting pregnant, going back to 1989, Kyung-hee dying of cancer, getting the watch, right? Sonja gets the watch from Kohansu, which plays a significant role later in the series. So let's talk about the rice. Thank you, God. The woman that um, refused to sell to Solomon, the, the little shitty house in, in, in Osaka or Tokyo that she won't sell, right? She reminds me of all of my, you know, ajimas in my life, as I'm sure you do too, right? Like stubborn, has many grandkids now, and is just like not in it for the money, but just on principle, she's like, fuck you guys. Fuck right. you, Japan. I'm not giving you fucking shit. So Solomon gets Sungja to like convince this other Hongmini to sell. And this is like, hey, she won't sell because it's everyone trying to make this deal with her is always Japanese or white, you know? Let's bring another gook in to fucking, you know, gook up the deal. And then maybe he'll do it because he's going to relate to her because he also has a harmony and the whole thing. But, you know, yeah, I know other harmonies and ajumas like that. And this is peppered throughout the whole series of just, it doesn't make any sense. It's like, just don't talk shit about Japanese people or just don't use this uh, language or just don't wear this or just don't do that. And then we won't kill you. And yet the pride keeps coming. It's like, you can't tell us what to do. I don't give a fuck. I'll die before I do anything that, you know, and that comes through with this, with, with this episode. It's a total fuck you mentality. And again, if I've downplayed the acting, it's not my intent. It is simply like there's so much fucking shit in this series to talk about that I'm not trying to underestimate the acting because the acting really conveys the fuck you to Japan, uh, you know, like in a very subtle way. It's like, especially episode three is all total fuck you. But I don't know. I, I have I have so much for me. I have so much gratitude towards Japanese people. And I, I'm not the man I am today without all the stuff that happened to me in Japan. And well, so listen, when I land in Japan, truth be told, I feel more at home than I do when I go in Korea. I do too. I, lo I love Japan. <laughs> I love, they have, and that's why I hung out with more Japanese kids growing up than Koreans. Cause they had better robots, toys, they had better candy and better chips. And so you and me just sitting here talking about Japanese white, ra it's like race, race, who gives a fuck? Race gets so boring. I'm talking about racists. People who are fucking straight up rice Nazis, ricists, not racists, ricists. My mom is a ricist. I grew up with tons of ricists. I'm sitting there. I don't know because I'm not a ricist. I'm eating brown rice. I'm eating the shitty rice. I'm eating. They're like, ill. don't eat that rice. I'm like, what do you mean? It all tastes the same to me to grow up like that and have someone go like, I can't eat at that restaurant. I'm like, the food was amazing. Yeah, but the rice was shit as just these fucking super snob rice people, the same way some people are like snobby about bread, like this isn't good bread or whatever. Holy fuck, does that come out in this episode? When yeah. she like takes the, the bite and she's like, holy fuck, it's nutty, the mouthfeel, the taste, and the, you know, Solomon's just like, I don't know what you're talking about, grandma. And she's like, this shit's from our country. This shit was like, I'm like, holy fuck, dude, she's right. That scene was, the scene was, extremely powerful did i cry like a baby yes but yes. the other harmony who basically was like shut the fuck up solomon crush it on acting yes yeah, yeah. yeah but yeah like 
And then I it keeps was coming up, right? It keeps coming up during yes. the wedding. It keeps coming up. Yeah. For- rice is a rice is a symbol of life in both Korean, all of Asian culture, right? Like, I always remember my dad's mom saving every grain of rice. Oh, always every grain of rice, any white rice that we didn't eat, she would preserve and and save. Right. And it's something I didn't understand, right? And I think watching this allowed me to empathize a lot more. I was able to empathize in other ways. If we didn't eat the rice, they'd use it as glue. Yeah, but eating rice then was a was a was like as precious and as expensive as anything. And I don't think it's possible for us to ever really understand just how rare that was. I think all of that was like, if you, if you have listened to this podcast up to now and you're like Chang and Cho have ruined this show for me, I'm never watching it. Just watch episode three, just for the rice scenes. Well, listen, if we ruin this fucking show for you, you were probably going to hate it anyway, because you suck. (laughs) (laughs) No, but seriously, like to show like, how important food is and the quality of food and where well, that's what I want to get to is food is a constant theme. And I think at least the first three or four episodes, it's one of the best food movie series I've ever seen. Yeah, for sure. There's so much cooking. It, it, it's, it's a, it's, it's a cooking is life, right? That's just how you communicate, at least in Korean culture, at least how I grew up, but rice in general, right? Like with the, with the, the harmony talking about how she carried this rice in suitcases, like, you have to understand that anytime any Korean person goes anywhere, even today, they're packing food. They're packing. So like two other themes that I think are central to this episode in this series is the idea of shame and the idea of nostalgia, right? The heartache of home, right? which can be good and bad. And I think another- Chris, as a kid going back and forth, my mom would pack my suitcase with, I'm like, they got stores in Korea. They couldn't, and they're like, no, not this shit. And then vice versa, bringing it back. And yeah, I mean, just wanting that, that exact thing from like, I, I, people are like that here in America where they're like, oh, that McDonald's is better than that one on, on Western or whatever. It's, they want the food from their store, from their country. And oh my God, it, it's the best way to watch this show is get on Postmates fucking queue up the show and then order Korean food while you watch the show because, and some Japanese food too. Cause you have, you have to eat kimchi while watching the show. Like kimchi <laughs> is like a central tenant of this whole thing, but fuck dude. I never thought I would cry that much over rice. Cause it just, I mean, it hit home. It, it's, it's such a powerful, powerful, powerful scene. It, and like, how could you think that with rice? But you can, it's, it's just one of those things. Like I've seen my father, when he was like cry over a bowl of nengmyeon, yeah. you know, and we were in, I can't remember the spot in Koreatown. It was when I was a kid, but he was like, this tastes exactly like home. Right. And the irony is, and this is what is so conveyed in the terrific acting. When you watch the show, it's like, why would anybody want to go back home? Nothing but terrible shit happened at home. But the longing is there. It's like, for whatever reason, that, that, that desire to like, think about home is so powerful. I mean, why do you think I'm here? You know, like every year I sit down, I go, wow, what a fucking insane life I've lived where I can live anywhere in the world in any place with, you know, and I go, wow, my house has been robbed four times since I lived, you know, moved to this neighborhood and I live in a nice neighborhood and there's the homeless problem. You know, I think there's like 60,000 homeless in LA. I don't know if that number's changed. And it's just like, 
I can straight up move to paradise and enjoy my life and nostalgia and growing up in this neighborhood and growing up in LA keeps me here. Like I, I fucking hate Los Angeles and I love it at the same time in the same way where I wanted to hate this show Pachinko. And then I fucking loved it. I can't believe how much money they threw at this show. Cause it looks very expensive. And when you get, <laughs> well, listen, we, we were paying for the show with their fucking iPhones. Yeah. Um, this the, the the that scene was so powerful, right? And and yeah. the lines that were dropped by it, it, it's it's Solomon, uh, Yin Yang Jung, and um, the other grandma there, and it was it, it could it was like so 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 fucking. I, it was one of the highlights in in, in the whole series, yeah. and it's definitely at the the eating the rice scene. I think it's going to be a very famous moment. You should all like watch it a couple times because. There were just so many good lines in that. The how many saying like when when uh, Yun was like, uh, I haven't been back to Korea. It would be too weird. And the other how many's like, you gotta like smell go when you land or you get to your place and you smell your own food, yeah. you hear the own language. That feeling I've experienced it is like intoxicating. You know, yeah. you 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 feel like even though you're Gyopo, you feel like you're at home. You yeah. know what I mean? And 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 that's a the idea of home again is a central theme. I was wondering, like you know, Solomon doesn't have a home, right? He's not American. He's not Korean. He's not Japanese. But he's you know he's all of these things, and the acting was so good in the scene because his eyes were like, "What the fuck's going on?" Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I don't know what the fuck's going on. Why my grandma's crying over rice? I have no idea why the other grandma who I'm trying to give all these millions of dollars to is being a total fucking asshole to me, yeah. you know, right. and not many words were exchanged. Yeah. The, the, the line though, that I think encompassed to me so much of who you are. And for me is when they say, uh, the grandma goes to Solomon, uh, no, the grandma goes like, do you really think that you being this rich up and coming Korean person in Japan that's going to like affect change. You really think you're going to do this shit? You really think people give a shit who you are? You know, it's like, you think that after all of these years of being screwed over, raped, killed, murdered, you think that's going to fucking change now? You think they give a shit about you now, even though you're Korean? And Solomon stubbornly, as stubborn as she is, says yes. And he says, things are different now. This is the most Han, Korean Han fucking line in the whole fucking movie. It's their turn to account to us. <laughs> like, I feel that way. Yeah. I know you feel that way, at least the Japanese culture. It's like, no, no, no. It's not even Japanese culture. It's like culture at large. You're like, no, 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 no. I'm going to do my fucking shit. And they're going to like be beholden to me because of whatever the fuck I'm going to do. Like, that was like extraordinary acting. Like, I thought that was just so powerful because I was like, I wasn't expecting that scene where it was about nostalgia of eating a fucking simple bowl of rice, right? To then go into straight up Han anger of like, fuck you, grandma. You know, what the fuck do you know? <laughs> yeah, I was like, shut the fuck up, like make the deal happen. But he couldn't, he can hold back the Han, you know? And I think that like... You're Solomon. I'm Solomon. That's that's who we are in this story. And then I'm watching this. And like you said, you're like, this guy's a stranger in a strange land. Like, that's who that's who we've been. Like, we're not Japanese. We're not Korean. We're not American. We're like, like, just we're like displaced. You know, I've I've, I've 
felt like a refugee my whole life, just to the point where I just started hitchhiking. Like I was like, I don't know where I belong. And I think that it trans, if you're an American, whether you're first, second, third, fourth, fifth, 20th generation, someone came over here from somewhere, unless you're native American. So that, that feeling of being displaced and not knowing who you are and where you belong, I think that transcends just being Korean or Japanese. Like there's so many friends that I have from, from Mexico and, and India and other countries where it's the same story. It's just like, what am I? Am I Indian American or am I just American or am I just, you know, and, and it's just at some point you just have a, or at least for me, you just have a breakdown the way Solomon had a breakdown at the subway station and you just, you just fucking start dancing or, or whatever your version of a breakdown is. You just find, you find your, you're like, I don't have a country. I don't have. Well, that's what I'm trying to say is like what this show fucking nails on top of all the things like the historical accuracy. And again, why I wanted to talk about the acting in the fucking excellence of it is I found that it was the closest thing I've ever seen or felt or even from reading a book of what it like to feel as an other. Right. And that's ever a lot of that word gets thrown around a fucking lot. Right. Otherness. Right. But Koreans have it in a specific fucking way. Right. And I was like, I, 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 it just is like, I was like, fuck man. Like, I know what that is. I know what that feels like. Right. And it's, and, and it's not just through Solomon. It's from Sunja. It's from Isak. It's from every fucking character that's in here. They all acted their fucking asses off. I think, I think this show has an ability if people i hope i hope people love it as much as i did has an ability because that that otherness and feeling like left out it it just i felt like it was a hard watch i felt triggered like crazy watching it and then at the end just like oh man i need a cigarette or i need to start smoking or like i felt hope i felt inspiration i felt like i don't know i felt strong i felt like i wanted to go out and like you know Dude, you've never seen anything like this before. <laughs> you know? I mean, What's I can't, I, like, honestly, like, I can't believe, you know, I don't need to go into my Star Wars bit, but like when I watch Star Wars, I've already said it on your podcast. Like there's a sign in my head that just says, keep Star Wars white, keep all people of color out of Star Wars. So I can just enjoy this white show. Every time I see, you know, uh, Kelly Tran or, 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 or even, um, uh, I forgot the guy, actor's name, the, the, the black guy. I'm like, oh, there's going to be all this other sh- baggage that comes with that from other. So then I can't enjoy this. But this was just fuck all that. Here's like I can't I, I'm so amazed that the show got made. I'm actually I was offended at some point that they didn't ask you and I to be in it, but we would have ruined it. I'm like, I look like the cleft palate, dad. Um, but I'm like, you know what? Everyone's already going to wow. think. Can I just say what? An, he was. Let's talk about this. Everyone's most underrated. We were in the show anyway, so it doesn't matter, right? Like most underrated character in the first three episodes. I'm going to say the dad, Huni. Yeah. What a sweetheart. Yeah, amazing. Just like a sweet, sweet man. And the lines that he says to his daughter, the baby child, Sunja, yeah. was like, I was just like, as a dad now, I was like, I was crying. I just, and I was crying. I was crying because he's just like, I will. F- oh, I'm, I'm going to cry now. He's talking about like. I, I just in this in this world where there's shit everywhere. I, I mean, paraphrasing, like, I want her to see acts of kindness. I want her to have this, this, and this, and, and I'll I, always I, be that I, as I long as I'm alive. Yeah, right. sacrifice. It's be- I mean, to me, 
I think what might get lost is his performance, which again, like in the book, I don't even know how large of a role that is, but I was like, I, I thought he was like one of the, they're all super, super good performances, but I liked him a lot. I just thought as a dad, I was like, I love this guy. Yeah. No, he, he killed it. Like every line he had. And it's just like, it's so easy for, for, for me and like other immigrants to be like angry at their parents. Cause they're stuck where they're stuck. And just like, just recently, this is like a week ago, it's been suggested to me before. And I just was like, I'm never going to do this was to finally have a conversation with my parents with a translator. And I was like, I'm never going to do that. And my parents, their, their English is horrible. It's gotten worse over the years because they live in Koreatown. They don't have to speak English. And my, my Korean used to be at like a junior high level. Now it's probably like a second or third grade for me to sit down and have like a conversation about our family and how we got here and all the traumas and all the fucked up shit they did to me. And I did to them with a translator there was straight up comedy tragedy, you know, cause it's just, we don't know all the things that they did for us. Cause they don't tell us. Right. And then when you talk to someone who doesn't speak perfectly your language, you don't really try to, you, you, you change what you say to them. You don't really try to go deep with them. So this, this show for me was extremely cathartic and healing in that way. Cause I'm like things that I just heard whispers about or shit stories from my aunts and uncles about what my parents were like and what they did and what my grandparents did. And then just to see this and just see a lot, it, it filled in a lot of the gaps and holes. I was just, I was just blown away. Like I was blown away by the show and Coconata is such a different filmmaker than Justin. Like that guy's a straight up poet the way he does shit and Justin's style is completely different for me it worked for me it just I was like I don't know how this is going to be coherent for me it worked once again Nico Muli I don't even know if I'm saying your last name right so so who do you think was the like the MVP of the first three episodes well you dude you bringing up the dad uh fuck man. I think he's underrated he's the he's a he's the underrated performance because it's like He's just like the anti-Korean dad. You know what I mean? This is like one of those things like where, you know, just I'm, I'm about to say Sunja, but then every generation of Sunja killed it. The grandma, the the teenager. and Well, and the, yeah, I mean, it's clear episode one, uh, um, baby Sunja, Sunja crushed it. She's like so fucking good. Oh, my God. Jin Ho is awesome. Jin Ha is awesome. Isaac, I mean, every, I, I can't even, there, there was, it's a powerful cast. I don't, you know. I, I listen, Yunya Jung, if you're not familiar, is like, they always say like the Meryl Streep, but like, she's an extraordinary, her life, her real life, her life story is actually more amazing than her career, which is like a best in class. But like, she, she is beloved because she's like that good at acting. And if you watch this, you will understand that. I'm not giving her her MVP award for the first three episodes till later. I think she clearly is like crushing Episode it. Episode four, she crushes. I was crying during that. I mean, I'm saying like a baby, baby Sunja crushed it. She wins episode one. Episode two, I'm going to give to um, teenage Sunja. She's so good. I guess she's, she's so a good. First time actress. You know, yeah, she's so she's so good. The actors are fucking good. I, I'm going to also say Jinha is so good. Jinha is Solomon. And you know what? I'm also going to give a, a, a big shout out to the token white guy in the series. Dude. Solomon's boss, who's very good. I've seen him in some things. I thought he was in Radiohead or something, but he, 
he he's killed, in Westworld. Yeah, he killed that like snarky, like entitled white dude position. Like he, well, we did it. I, I didn't think we'd cover I mean, three I, episodes. I, it's a miracle that I didn't spoil like every episode because I, I, dude, we, I can't wait to talk about episode seven. I think it's an important show, clearly for Koreans. Uh, first and foremost, it's not an important show. It's the best show on TV. It's like, yes, it's important, but watch it because you want to fucking watch. Well, great, yeah. it's, it's funny. It's entertaining. Listen, it, it, it is all of these things, but I reason why I think it is the best show on TV or the best thing I've seen in a while is because it has something to say. Yeah, that's why. There's a lot of people. There's a lot of movies tv shows people that have things to say that are important but they're boring they're not interesting and it's like the performances want- are amazing like i didn't i was i was really so happy that wow these actors are so fucking good <laughs> you know and they're and they're korean they, they deserve i was so happy about fucking that. award this this like like and that's a guarantee you can i guarantee this is going to fucking clean house at the end destroy and it, and it deserves all of it they, they went for it. They went hard. Every single actor here is going to win. The director, they're, they're just going to, they're going to sweep. There's like, if this was a betting thing, we should just put money on it right now. Yeah. They'll, they'll win everything. Best supporting, best directing, best. Because you know why, listeners? You want to know why? Koreans are better at everything. And I'm not the only, the reason we know that is because Rima Williams in the movie, they said that Koreans are the perfect race. Who said that? Remo Williams said that, or the, yeah, the white guy. They had a white guy playing the the master. Yeah, yeah. So a white, so that's so a white guy. A, a white a, guy basically said that Koreans are the perfect race, even though he's playing a Korean dude. And then what did Remo Williams do? He started running uh, a photo. Oh, water. Yeah. So that's, that's if you haven't watched Remo Williams, I highly suggest you watch it because please, please go watch Pachinko and Remo Williams and Batteries <laughs> Not Included. By the way, that is like the best fucking pull I've done in years. Yeah, that's a great pull. That was amazing. All right, Joe. What 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 do we have to tell to? What do we have to let people know? The the we're doing. I think um, episode four, five, and six, and then we're gonna do seven and eight. I want to just do seven, man. Because I, could- not, I don't think Apple's releasing this. Um, they're releasing episode one, two, and three at once, and then they're going to do at one one at a time. So this is going to be the longest podcast of this prestige. And listen, I think we're going to take a lot of credit between you, me and you. you. I'll tell you, tell you exactly. You know, I don't care if I get in trouble. Bill Simmons called me and said, "Dave, do you want to fucking review this this show, Pachinko?" I'm like, "Absolutely not. I don't want to watch it. the The, the poster looks very gooky to me. I don't want to watch it. It rem- it makes me feel like." I'm going to be re-traumatized by some shit my mom or dad said to me. I'm really enjoying watching Yellowstone in 1883 right now. I don't want, and he's like, you can review that too. I'm like, I don't want to do any reviews. He sent me Pachinko. I watched it. It is the fucking best show on TV. I like it better than 1883. I like it better than Yellowstone. I like it better than Game of Thrones. It's the fucking best show on TV. I cannot believe a show like this exists. And we'll leave it at that. We've now taken almost, we've taken almost two hours of your life. Oh, fuck. And, and actually, uh, Justin and, and uh, Coconata, I, I got to get up early because I got to go act tomorrow with Steve Young and Ali Wong. Yeah, that's right. I'm acting now. So That's how you know we have jumped the shark. We have jumped the shark for real. Dave chose actually a fucking real bona fide actor. And that's why, this is actually important to note. 
we are not yet in Korean uh, sort of level of competition because <laughs> it, in Korea, they're really fucking a lot of Asians that are actors and are really fucking good at it. And here we have Dave Cho <laughs> and myself. I've actually acted in, in Treme and That's we Treme, suck. Dude. I suck at HBO, acting. Bro. It's why it was canceled. <laughs> I saw you in Billions, bro. I saw you in <laughs> Didn't ask me back. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. Love you, man. This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. My favorite, because I walk around LA every day, I like the joggers. I'm not jogging. I'm just walking fast. But if you're working out, I would try them out. And if you want something a little sleek, maybe business-like, maybe try the ABC Slim Fit Trouser. But I am a joggers guy. I just, once COVID happened, I was just like, I'm, I want to wear jogging pants and joggers and all kinds of soft pants as much as I possibly can, especially when I'm working out. Ultra comfortable and versatile. ABC pants are really in a league of their own. Buy a pair right now at lululemon.com. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.